to Deleted Saves. On this episode, Icewind Dale on PC. The late 1990s and early 2000s were just the era for licensed Dungeons & Dragons titles. Based off of the success of the Baldur's Gate games, developers Black Isle Studios decided to strike while the Mythic Iron was hot, or in this case, frozen solid. Did this next wave of magical tales pan out? Let's find out together. Today I discuss 2000's Icewind Dale. The Forgotten Realms tabletop game setting, the creation of author Ed Greenwood, has proven fertile ground for many writers, artists, and creators in the fantasy sphere over the decades since it was first published in 1987. Between New York Times bestselling novels, award-winning game modules, dice sales, YouTube role-playing stars talking about the system, and of course video games, many of which I've talked about before on Deleted Saves, this enduring gift of lore and wonder has proven itself time and time again to be the equal of any storied work of fiction. So it was no surprise Black Isle and their publisher Interplay would once again wish to return here. But where to place this new adventure exactly? They chose a land far to the north of the familiar territory trod by the players of Baldur's Gate, with its fertile fields and temperate climate. Instead, the setting would be the Icewind Dale, a spare land perpetually frozen even in the height of summer, populated by nomadic barbarian tribes and monsters well acclimatized to cold temperatures. The only attempted civilization here is a small collection of rime-coated homesteads and trade depots collectively known as the Ten Towns, in particular the village of East Haven is where our tale of venture begins. But it is not when it begins, exactly. For you see, over a century ago, a fierce barbarian tribe was ruled by a man named Jared, who believed that he was the divine herald of the god of battle in the realms named Tempest, and was meant to unite the tribes to form their own state. When outside forces egged on by evil wizards, the city stayed away, brought battle to the region to break the backs of the tribes. They unleashed the literal forces of hell upon the fields with hordes of demons, who began to ravage the combatants on both sides. And of course, the wizards lost control of their magic, and hell threatened to flood the world. Jared, receiving in that moment a vision of his god Tempest, felt that there was only one way to stop this madness, and flung himself into the portal to the netherworld, whereupon his well, I don't know, define righteousness or something, I guess, causes the portal to start sucking in all of its demons and the dead and turns Jared into a stone plug of sorts, forever frozen in time and in both victory and agony over this portal. Fantasy world carbonite, if you will, which is somehow in this case different from science fiction. Look, don't question it. Now in the modern day, here comes your party of adventurers. Like Baldur's Gate, Upon the start of the game, you are tasked with creating a character. In fact, you must create all six characters in the slots available to you. So be prepared to spend quite some time reading character class entries and fantasy species stats as you prepare to take on this frozen land. You ever see someone take literal hours to craft the perfect character in an Elder Scrolls game? Well, now you get to see that happen six times over. And don't you goddamn dare make less than six characters because you'll never get to recruit any more, as there are no playable NPCs anywhere in this game. Icewind Dale is not your friend. It will punish you for being unready and unworthy. So trying to make a balanced party of fighters, thieves, healers, and spellcasters is the least you can do to save yourself some headaches later on. But we'll get to the beating soon enough. Where was I? Oh right, East Haven. So, 
Into the tavern in this frozen flyspeck, your brave collection of ones and zeros finds themselves thrust, armed with pointy sticks and the colored pallet clothes on their backs. Did I mention that this game starts you with jack shit for equipment? Yeah, it does that. It's not a bug. It's a fucking intended feature. No matter what weapons you said your heroes were skilled with, everyone gets a quarterstaff and harsh language to start. Armor and everything else you need for your igloo vacation either has to be bought with what little gold you have or scavenged off the dead. And don't worry, there will be piles of them soon enough. Haven, it turns out, was built over the battle site where this Jared gave his life to seal a demonic portal. In fact, there was a church to Tempest built right over the site of the portal, too. Much like the first Baldur's Gate, your party is able to gain some cheap and easy experience around town doing simple quests, such as speaking to a sea sprite for one of the locals, hunting a wolf that has broken into a town warehouse looking for food, and killing several goblins who chased a young boy into town. In the meantime, you meet with the town leader who invites you to be the guards of a caravan headed to the village of Kaldahar, which will be your hub town for the remainder of the game. But first you must find out what happened to a caravan of supplies that has gone missing. This will be your first real combat test in this isometric tactical CRPG, a simple affair of decimating orcs led by a single ogre, while giving you a chance to see if the party you built is actually viable in combat. Because combat in this game consists of pausing, surveying, planning each of the character's actions like a single combat unit, then unpausing to allow the algorithm to run, rinse and repeat. From there, and with your success, you head out to Kuldahar. In a cutscene, the caravan is attacked by frost giants who cause an avalanche and bury the pass the caravan moves through. Only your party of six survivors makes it through the attack, and they can't go back. Cut off, badly equipped and hurt, the party must forge ahead into the wilderness. Through a horde of goblins, they make it to Kaldahar on foot, a rare warm place in this frozen land, sheltered by a great tree that magically generates warmth. But something is wrong, because of course it fucking is. The tree is losing its heat, slowly freezing over after decades of not doing that due to elemental magic. The leader of the village, a druid named Arundel, thinks the nearby tomb of a fearsome barbarian warrior in the heart of the Vale of Shadows, quite the sinister name, may be to blame, and hires your party to figure out what's going on. You can use this opportunity to rearm and get new equipment from a sale of the crap you've accumulated on the way there, which is recommended before heading out, and you get attacked by yetis along the way. Well, that answers the cryptid questions, doesn't it? Actually, this is a clue, but you won't know that until a bit later. The Vale of Shadows is a haven for the undead. It starts out with living shadows, but soon evolves into Jason and the Argonauts-style skeletons, zombies, even mummies. As you reach the tomb, on your way to realizing this place is nowhere the living should be. Save scumming and smashing your way into this incredibly difficult dungeon, where you meet the undead barbarian warrior Kresselak, who tells you the problem of Kolgahar aren't his fault. They are instead caused by a cleric of an ice goddess. He promises if you get rid of her, the problems will cease. So the party, none the wiser, confronts her in the veil and kills her and her yeti horde. And well, wouldn't you know it, that doesn't solve the problem. When the party angrily confronts Kresselak, 
he laughs at them for falling for his bullshit scheme to get rid of a problem, but hands over his magic gear. He doesn't need it anymore. He does say the problem is much worse, but as he's stuck here in his tomb, he doesn't know who or why. That's for you to figure out. Thus, the rest of the game unfolds like this. Receive a mission from a powerful patron. Go to the dungeon and clean it out. Find in another link in the chain leading to the climax of the puzzle. The party next has to find a scrying item called the Hearthstone Gem, only available in a place called the Dragon's Eye, a dungeon full of trolls and lizardmen. So bring the fire. From there, they travel to such tantalizingly named places, like the Fortress of the Severed Hand, or the Forgotten Mine named Dorne's Deep, among others. Along the way, the mysterious deepen. Others get blown wide open in moments of mustache-twirling villainy, and the whole game turns back on itself and returns to East Haven, where it all began. Now devastated by an NPC the party met along the way, and the whole thing ends with the cosmic drain plug that was Jared Stone removed, and a demon tower being erected in its place where your party must commit to a final battle. Iswind Dale is a wonderful companion piece to the Baldur's Gate franchise. With the same setting rules as that flagship franchise and deep world lore that makes it feel lived in, but at the same time wildly fantastical. But unlike that game, Icewind Dale is strangely linear. There is no opportunity to explore the game world, you just go from dungeon to dungeon one after another, with escalating difficulty. And I will say, there is a hell of a difficulty spike between dungeons, and each dungeon usually has at least three levels. Kind of what it would be like if it happened that Conan the Barbarian took place inside of an office building. Additionally, for maximum survivability, you better be a master tactician and be prepared to pause and unpause a lot. Probably save and load a lot, too. Also, the game really is built for certain types of parties, specifically the ones built to handle things like tons of undead soldiers and creatures weak to fire, as you'll be fighting both in spades at least the things that can take damage. So in many ways, a companion piece is all this game can be, other than to showcase more of the world you may already like and be a fan of. But Icewind Dale has a lot of good and unique things going for it, too. The voice cast is a who's who of voice actors in that time. Jim Cummings, Tara Strong, who has been the voice of so many female characters, John Cassier, the Crypt Keeper himself, Michael Bell, the voice of the legend of Legacy of Cain's Raziel, David Ogden Steers, best known to me as Major Charles Winchester from the TV show MASH, and last but certainly not least, Tony Jay, the baritone behind multiple villains and ne'er-do-wells across the video game world in animation. Rest in peace, good sir. Getting a crew like that together now would bankrupt most voiceover departments. Plus the gameplay and use of the base tabletop rules are a lot smoother than they were in the other games within the same universe. By this point, perfected by Black Isle, and with some additions from the newly minted 3rd edition rules for Dungeons & Dragons, which debuted around this time to make the game easier. Plus, the simple moving to a frozen realm from a temperate pastoral one a decade before the blockbuster that was Skyrim did it makes it visually and thematically distinct. And yes, Bethesda, Black Isle did it first. The tactical gameplay is solid, and there is a lot of customization of characters and abilities. 
despite the reuse of many enemy types, but at least those types are on theme and not too wildly out of place. Wildly out of place in a fantasy game. Not a phrase I thought I'd say, but here we are. In any case, Icewind Dale sold very well upon its release, ultimately to the tune of $9.5 million by 2006, and earned mostly 8 out of 10 ratings from the major PC-focused gaming journalism trades and websites of its day. So overall, extremely positive and respectable scores, but not quite some of the scores its D&D family members received. It was even nominated for Game of the Year awards for RPGs in 2000, but rather ironically lost out to Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Om. Man, I feel like we just talked about that or something. Icewind Dale even did so well that it got a sequel, Icewind Dale 2, which was more of the same in the same region of the world. Beamdog even gave it the quote-unquote enhanced edition in 2014 for modern consoles and PC. And there we have it. I probably spent about as much time with this game as I did with its D&D cousins, absorbing a setting I'd only previously imagined in my head with friends around multiple tables filled with worn books, rainbow-colored plastic dice, chips, pizza, Coca-Cola, and local beers. I'd once said to an old friend in regard to D&D, you know, some of the best memories we have are of people in places that never existed. He had to agree. In the case of games like Icewind Dale, one could at least make those memories and moments manifest, even if digitally, and with a definite endpoint at the conclusion of the game's story. This may be a difficult concept to fully explain to people who have ever played a tabletop game or have no interest in them. Instead, just get their hobbyist jollies from digital outlets. But having a format where both the spectrum of hobbies can be joined in brilliant design and presentation is just sublime in the joy it provides. Or maybe that's just me. You may be bored to tears. I don't know. Life is short. You do you. Icewind Dale is a respectable addition to any collection of isometric tactical role-playing games. It is a great wintertime play-along where the snows and chills outside your window match those your cloaked and armored warriors and wizards are experiencing, but you, at least, are in no immediate danger. I hope, anyway. Adventure knows no bounds or environmental divides. And even in the heart of winter, heroes can be called forth to match wits and weapons with evil. Will you... Heed that call. Thank you for listening.